Porch, how we doing? Come on, come on. Hey, if we don't know each other, my name is JP Jonathan Pakluda. It's a privilege to be with you tonight as we continue Jonah. If you're tuning in from somewhere else, uh, listening in your car, watching online, I wanna welcome you. And we know there's campuses all over the country that are tuning in as well. And so we're so excited uh, that you guys are listening in Fort Worth. We love you. We know that you're close. Houston, we love you too. And so just, just excited uh, to be where we're, we are at uh, this evening. And I, I gotta start with a little bit of a disclaimer for you, okay? So I have not uh, always been walking with Jesus, neither have you, but especially uh, in college, I was not walking with the Lord and uh, didn't know Christ. I, I was not a Christian and so uh, as I tell you this story, the, the story I'll open with, it's a little bit crazy, but there's a reason that I start here. And so uh, my buddy and I, just as, as uh, indicative of not being a Christian, uh, we were going to South Padre for spring break. And so uh, that's where we wanted to go, Padre for spring break. And uh, we wanted to do all the things that you do in Padre on spring break. And so we go down there, it's me and him. And I don't know if you remember this, I don't know where you're at in your faith journey uh, if you can remember, uh, if you were even uh, a, not a Christian as an adult, but you can remember just kind of being with your boys or being with your girls, you've got your crew, and you're ready for whatever comes your way, because you guys just, that's, that's how you roll. That was me and him. Uh, he was a big dude, like worked out a lot, and uh, you know, was, was like on steroids and stuff, and, and so they called us the number 10, because I was like the one skinny guy, and he was the big zero. And, uh, and so... We go to Padre, we, we stay at Motel 6 there, and, um, and we go clubbing one night, all right? And so we're in the club, Louie's backyard, and, and we're partying up at Louie's till late in the night, and, and we're leaving the club, and somebody comes up to him, and they say, hey, yo, what's up, man? You know where we can score some X. And, um, and so he just kind of snaps into character, because this is what we did. We were always looking for an adventure all the time. He snaps into character, he's like, what? Are you you just gonna ask me this in, in public, in front of everybody? Hey, come over here. JP, you're not gonna believe this guy, what he just asked me. Come over here. And he, he takes him across the street, and, he, and he's like, so what are, what are you looking for? And the guy's like, man, I'm, I'm looking for like uh, 10 tabs of Molly, 10 tabs of X. You know, you guys got something? He said, man, we can, we can get you, but don't just be coming up to me in public, you know? And I'm like, we can? We can get him? What? I don't know. <laughs> Didn't know that, but, but we, he's just messing with the guy, right? And he's like, yeah, no. So, it was, so you're looking for 10 tabs. Okay, yeah, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll get you. Why don't you meet us in that Kroger parking lot in two hours, which was like, you know, four in the morning or something. And so he's like, meet us in that Kroger parking lot in, in two hours. And so we, and, and we walk away, and, and then we're like, okay, well, now we got to figure out what X looks like. And, um, and, and so we remember we met this guy at the Motel 6 earlier, and he looked like somebody that, that might know what it looks like. And so we went, his name was Craig. We said, hey, Craig, man, let me ask you a question. You know what X looks like? He's like, dude, I know what X looks like. He's like, call me Craig Dog. That's what he said. And, uh, and, and so he's like, it looks like, it looks like Sudafed. And I'm like, bingo. So we go, to the, we go to the gas station, and we buy some Sudafed. I know, don't do this at home, okay? Like, I've lost half of you. You're like, I thought I was in church. Listen, so... Don't do this, but we go, we go get 10 uh, tablets of Sudafed, and, and we go and we meet this guy. He's, he's there in his Jeep Wrangler, and I pull up, and, and, uh, and, I, and, and he's like happy to see us, and, and I say, hey, you know, I got to check you and make sure you don't have a wire, because that's what I've seen on TV, you know, and so <laughs> dude's like up against the car. I'm like searching him, and, uh, and I'm like, yo, Matt, he's good, you know, and, and so my buddy comes up, and and, uh, and we give him, you know, the, the 10 tablets of Sudafed. I told you it was a crazy story. 10 tablets of Sudafed. He hands us a bunch of money, and, and, then, and then we leave. And we're like, we're laughing, you know, the whole way back to the hotel. We're like, man, this is crazy because, you know, he thinks he's rolling on X, and really he's just got clear sinuses and stuff. And so, <laughs> and, uh, and, and so we're like, you know, we, we did this. And don't do that at home. I'm telling you, this is not a good story, not something to replicate. And, and so the next day we wake up and our tires are flat. And I'm like, Matt, he's coming for us, man. And he's got friends, dude. We got to figure this out. So, so we literally flee to Mexico. I'm not kidding. Like we, we run to Mexico. I'm not like, we're like, hey, we got to get away. We got to let things calm down here in America. Let's go to Mexico. <laughs> 
And so we get in the car, we, we get the tires fixed. We spend the morning doing that and hiding. And then we get in the car, we, we drive to Mexico, and all day we're just thinking, and, and we're running, you know, and we're scared. And we're like, man, what are these guys gonna do if they, see, that was, it was funny when we were drunk, but now it's like, what are we, what are we gonna do? These guys, what are they gonna do to us if, if, if they find us? And we're running, right? And, and we're running, and this season of my life I was running, but it wasn't from some drug dealers. It wasn't from some drug users. I was running from my calling. I was running from my purpose. I was running from whatever, everything that God had for me. I was running from the goodness of God. I was afraid that I would get caught, not just by some drug users, but by the Lord God Almighty. I was paying him lip service, even going to church sometimes, even singing sometimes, maybe raising a hand in worship, meanwhile running from him to, to South Padre to bars, to clubs, to relationships, to dead ends. I had the heart of a runaway. We're in Jonah. And Jonah, if there's a runaway in Scripture, we covered it in chapter one. DeMarv and Garrett have done a great job taking you as tour guides through this book of Jonah, showing you that this guy is running from God's best for him. And so if you're just here with us for the first time tonight, we're gonna be in chapter four, but I'll give you a quick recap. Chapter one, God comes to Jonah and says, hey, I want you to go to Nineveh and tell them that, that they have sinned against me. Call them to repentance. And Jonah says, no, thank you. I hate the Ninevites. They're Assyrians. They, they, they are the, the great, 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 great cousins of ISIS, the Taliban right there by Mosul, Iraq. He's like, I'm not, I'm not going there. So he gets on a boat and he flees to Spain. He's like, I'll go on a vacation in Spain. He's running from Spain. God sends a storm. Sovereign over the weather, storm comes. Jonah is found sleeping in the bottom of the boat. Like, How can you sleep at a time like this? Hey, why is this storm here? He's like, I think it's me. They're like, throw him overboard. All right, a big fish comes and swallows him. Don't get caught up on the fish. It's just like God called him an Uber to get him where he needs to go. And so the fish shows up, swallows Jonah. Jonah's in the fish for three days. Fish throws him up on the shore three days later. And the people of Nineveh, Jonah walks through with five words in the Hebrew. It's five words. God is going to bring judgment in 40 days. That's his message. God's going to judge you in 40 days. And the people of Nineveh listened to him and repented. They sat in sackcloth and ashes. Their heart grieved before the Lord. They, they, changed, they turned from their ways. And so you see now Jonah now in contrast with chapter one, Jonah's doing all the right things, but with the wrong heart. He still has the heart of a runaway. He doesn't love these people. He doesn't love God. He doesn't want God's best for anybody. Jonah cares about him. That's it. And so as we move through this chapter, we're, we're going to see how the rebellious heart of a runaway seeks to control how the rebellious heart of a runaway seeks comfort and how, you, how the rebellious heart of a runaway has misguided concerns. If you're here and you're like, man, I'm, I'm a good person. You know, I've never been to the bar or the club or drunk or doing X or selling X or selling Sudafed like it was X or sleeping around. I've never done any of those things. But your heart is still hard and you still have the heart of a runaway. And you need to hear this message. And maybe you're here and you're like, dude, I did, I did Molly this past weekend, man. You don't know me. I came in here. I'm hiding in the back. And uh, I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you're here. You're running. And God's faster. And he's going to catch you in the most beautiful way. His grace is going to catch up with you in the most beautiful way. In chapter three it ends. When God saw what the Ninevites did in their repentance and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. This is the most successful missionary that, that maybe had ever lived up until now. He walks in with five words and in the entire city, 600,000 people repent. But to Jonah, chapter four, but to Jonah this seemed very wrong. Why? Because he's a racist he hates the Ninevites. He hates them. He knows 
that they have been called to, or, or he's heard the prophecy that they're going to come and conquer Israel. And he hates them. He know, he's heard how they skin people alive, how they're wicked people, and he hates them. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That is why I tried to forestall, that means tried to keep from happening by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. He's complaining that God is gracious and abounding in love and slow to anger. He's actually quoting what God says about himself in Exodus 34 after he's led the Israelites from slavery. He's freed them. And God says this about himself, that he's a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in love, one who relents from sending calamity. But he also says this in Numbers 14, also in Nehemiah 9, in Psalm 86, in Psalm 103, in Joel chapter 2, the same description, God is gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love, compassionate. This is the God you serve. This is the God who loves you. The God of the Old Testament, God of the New Testament, same God. And the Lord replied, is it right for you to be angry? See, and if you just read in chapter one, you'd think the reason Jonah doesn't want to go to Nineveh is because the, the Assyrians there, they're going to kill him and they're, they're, they're wicked savages. But the reason he doesn't want to go to Nineveh is because he knows that if he goes, that God is going to show them mercy and he doesn't want them to have mercy. He wants to control the situation. That's why it says he went to Tarshish. And he's disappointed in God because God did what God says he's going to do. And he's angry that he didn't get revenge, that he didn't get to control the situation. He's angry he's not in control. And he, does, he did what many do when they realize they're not in control. He wants to die. That's the last thing that he can control is his own life. And so the rebellious heart of a runaway seeks to control. That's my first point today. The rebellious heart of a runaway seeks to control. Here's what you need to know, friends. You're not in control. God is in control. And you don't want to resent the one who is in control because when you begin to resent the one who is in control, you stop seeing his goodness. You stop seeing him as good. This is the craziest verse potentially in the entire scripture. I knew that you were a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love. Wah! He's whining about how good God is. It's so weird. Have you ever been disappointed with God? And maybe now you even see purpose in it. I don't know if you, you lost a friend and now you see, oh man, they weren't any good for you or you, you start to see God's purpose but when you're hurt, you can't see God's purpose through your hurt. You can't see God's purpose through your pain. I, I've heard this like maybe a relationship maybe that's an idol for you is a relationship I, I I've talked to, to people you know multiple stories not any one of you over and over you know somebody comes up and says, TP I can't believe I'm so mad at God why are you mad at God because I got in this relationship with this guy and I thought he was good and he had a bible and he knew some verses and then he just took advantage of me and like why didn't God show me why didn't God tell me and and, and I just don't understand why God let this happen let me ask you a question. Did, did you guys sleep together? Was it physical? Yeah, yes. Are you, are you in community? Did your, your community group say, oh, yeah, man, he's the one for you? No, I mean, I, you know, when, when the relationship came into my life, it just became kind of consuming, and so I didn't have time for community and church, and, and I just was so focused on the relationship. Hey, hey, my hunch is, my hunch, I'm just going to go out on a limb here, that God is in heaven jumping up and down, waving his arms, saying, hey, he's no good for you. He's no good for you. Don't do that. But you just didn't listen. And now, as you walked in obedience to a place of pain, you're mad at God? That, that's what's going on here? It's, it's God's fault that you didn't listen? This, this problem is God's fault? Hey, and can I tell you something great and amazing? God is abounding in love. And so if I saw one of my daughters in a relationship that was not good for her, 
I would want to do everything in my power to take it away. And this is going to be one of the best things that ever happened to you. You just can't see it right now past your hurt, past your pain. God has a purpose in it. And so often our hardships, they're the biggest blessings, right? But not always, right? Sometimes they're only hurt. As I talk to people, they say, man, I'm so mad at God. He took my mom. I'm so mad at God. I don't want anything to do with him. He took my dad. He took my brother, my cousin, right? And I hate that, man. Part of the human experience is the pain of loss. And, and it's... I wouldn't say this in that moment, right? I can say things to, to the many of us that I wouldn't say in a pastoral moment where I just would want to sit with someone in the hurt and grieve with them and cry with them and weep with them. But to you, I'd say it's a little bit of a weird concept if you think about it for a minute, right? Because everyone who's been born dies. I mean, God just did what he does for everyone. Like, everyone dies. And really, you're not mad that God took your mom. You're mad that God took her before he took you. You're, you're mad that he took her before you agreed with his timing, before you approved his timing. That's really what you're mad about, right? And I, 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 I hate the grief that comes with the pain of loss. But can I tell you something? As lovingly as I can, I want to tell you something. I want you to hear me lean in and think about this. God's never hurt you. God's never offended you. You don't need to forgive God. He's never done anything against you. Everything that he does to you is, is out of love. It is what is best for you. And, and maybe the greatest thing that you could believe and learn right now is, is that. That a good, holy, righteous, perfect father only gives, goods, gifts, good, only gives good gifts to his children. And so if what you have is not good, he's not done. Hold out and trust him. He's got a purpose in it. See, when you seek to control, you miss out on God's calling. When you, you start to ask the question, God, what do you want to do with me in this situation? That's what you can ask. It may hurt, but you're like, okay, God, what are you teaching me here? What do you want me to see here? What do you want me to do here? What is my purpose in this? And when you start focusing on your control, you miss out on God's calling. And if you've ever been in a, in a place where you're like, God, I don't like where this is going, that's you seeking to control. I don't like where this career is going, Calm down, God has a purpose in it. I don't like where this is going. I don't like where I'm, now how long am I gonna be single? Hold on. Hold on, God's hand's not off the wheel. He, he's still sovereign, he's still in control. See, in South Padre, I was running from God's calling. And I thought it was awesome, but let's, all that craziness aside, what's cool about that? That's lame, man. Sold some guys some Sudafed, stole from them. That's not living. Nothing amazing about that. Like you, you go with my old boys, like that's the story they're gonna tell you. That's like the trophies. They're like, man, you remember that time in Padre? That was crazy. That was stupid. That's the truth. It was stupid. No, I remember that time in Haiti when we hiked that mountain. We sat under that waterfall and there was that voodoo temple and we got to share the gospel with that dude who was sacrificing that snake. That was crazy. Remember, remember that time when we went into Africa and then we drove six hours into the bush and we got there and we talked to that person who trusted Christ because of a dream they had? That was crazy. That time in Padre, that was stupid. Wasn't life. I was in my control, not his control, right? Wasn't surrendered to God. Jonah hates these people. He doesn't think they deserve God's grace. Who, who do you think God doesn't, that, like how can we empathize with Jonah? Like, um, I don't know who it is for you. I don't know who you hate. You know, maybe it's Aggies or, or maybe it's um, Republicans or, or Democrats or, or Trump or, or, or like, like the KKK, right? We can all, we don't like those people, right? Racist. And you might think, well, they don't deserve heaven, right? Who, whoever it is for you. Like it, ISIS, Okay. By cutting off, sawing off the heads of Christians. Don't give them grace. Like that, that they would be ISIS. That, that would be the equivalent. So we would be like, God, no, 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 don't, don't, 
don't give them abundant riches forever in your kingdom. No, 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 not that. You guys know who um, Jeffrey Dahmer is? Maybe the most notorious serial killer in America's history. 17 victims that he raped, that he butchered, that he ate, that he did things that honestly I can't even say up here, that horrific, that grotesque. He was evil in every sense of the word, a wicked, wicked man. And you know where he's at right now? As best I can tell, with Jesus in his kingdom forever, enjoying your inheritance. How do you feel about that? Any part of you like, no, 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 he doesn't deserve that. Neither do you. You see that? You deserve that? It's uncomfortable, isn't it? Neither do you. It's grace, the essence of grace, getting something great when we deserve something harsh. Jesus, Jesus gave up his control. He didn't seek to control the situation. He said, not my will, but thy will be done. Verse five, Jonah had gone out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter and sat in its shade and waited to see what would happen to the city. He's still hopeful that God's gonna destroy the city. He's like, okay, like he sets up shop and he's watching, he's gonna be entertained. He's like, please God, bring your wrath, bring your wrath. And then the Lord God provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the plant. But at dawn, the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, it would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? It is, he said, and I am so angry, I wish I were dead again, wanting to die again like an adolescent or, or, or complaining, whining like a five-year-old. God sends a plant to protect him. God sends a worm to kill the plant. Here's what's going on. The Ninevites repent and God has mercy on them. Jonah's angry and wants to die. God covers his shelter with a leafy plant. Jonah is happy and wants to live. The plant dies, Jonah is hot. Jonah wants to die again. He's dramatic, right, back and forth. His happiness is determined by his comfort. You know anyone like that? Like if he's happy or not depends on what's going on around him. He doesn't want to be uncomfortable. He's, he's weak in his spirit. He has no fight. Only wine. Wine, 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 wine. You know, today it's Holy Week. Moving toward Easter this weekend. And, and on this day, what we reflect on is, is it's the day that Jesus stood outside the city of Jerusalem and wept over the people who had not repented. That's, that's where we're at in Holy Week today. But contrast that with Jonah. We see him set up outside the city. He's got his feet propped up. He's, he's looking to be comfortable and, and he's ready to be entertained. And I would just tell you the rebellious heart of a runaway seeks comfort. That's my second point. The rebellious heart of a runaway seeks comfort. Not to be on mission for God, but to be comfortable. To, to spend your, your 76 years as comfortable as you can with a security system and a 401k and a a good career and some kids maybe, you know, maybe a boy and a girl or maybe two girls and a boy. I don't know where you're at with that. You know, maybe a German shepherd or a golden doodle or something and, and, you know, out in the suburbs, right? Because that's when you're gonna cross, you know, the 635 or wherever you're at, Fort Worth and Houston. And and so it's just like, it's like, I wanna be comfortable. Guys, let me tell you something. Let me tell you a story. People ask all the time, hey, um, how did you know you wanted to go into ministry? How did you, JP, how did you know you wanted to go into ministry? Can I tell you something? I never wanted to go in ministry. Never, never even crossed my mind. 
never even thought about it for one second, not one time, never once. I, I, when I graduated from college, I moved to Dallas. I was in corporate America. I was climbing the corporate ladder. I was in business development for a, a Fortune 15 company. I, I saw my career path. I wanted my boss's job and then his boss's job. It was very clear to me what I wanted in life. And I experienced some success there, but I also met Jesus. I, I walked into a church, hung over, sat in the back row, and God came into my life, invaded my heart, and began to turn it upside down. He began to, to, to have me fall in love with him. And I began to fall in love with Jesus. And I remember sitting at my desk. I was there at my desk, and, and I was on my computer, and I was reading the scriptures. And I heard, and I can't explain this, okay? I'm just gonna tell you what I experienced. I heard the voice of God say, you're going to come and work for me now. now I had never heard that, you know? It wasn't, it wasn't something super familiar to me. It doesn't happen all the time, and, and, and very rarely, I would say, but this particular day, what it seemed like is that I heard God say, you're going to come work for me. I shut my laptop, and I walked out at 1.30 in the afternoon, and I got in my car, and I drove home, and I called a friend, and I said, dude, you're not gonna believe what just happened. You gotta meet me at my house. He's like, I'm at work. I said, I know, you gotta leave. You gotta come to my house. Meet me at my house. He did at two o'clock in the afternoon. We're sitting there, and I'm like, man, the Lord spoke to me, bro. He said, I'm gonna come work for him now. I guess this means I gotta go into ministry. Uh, I don't know what that looks like. Never thought about working for the church. True story, never thought about it. I said, I guess I'll hire an attorney, start a not-for-profit organization, raise money and give it away. I'll be like the Christian United Way. That, that's what I'll do. And he said, he said, whoa, 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 whoa. He was a good member of my community group. He said, hey, hold on, man. If this was God, then, then you should ask him what he wants you to do. Like, if he's going to tell you you're going to come work for me, you should say, well, God, what is my job, you know? And, and I thought, well, that makes sense. That makes sense. So I started praying. Say, God, would you put me where you want me and help me find contentment there? Still have not considered the church. God, put me where you want me and help me find contentment there. Put me where you want me and help me find contentment. On the fifth day, the church called. The church, Watermark Community Church, called me. Guys on the other end of the phone, hey, I've got a job I think you should consider. Wait, who, who, who is this? Yeah, I'm at Watermark, and I'm looking over this job description, and I was praying about who should do it, and your name came to mind. I said, what? The church? Like, I can't, I didn't go to seminary. I can't work at the church. What are you talking about? This is crazy. I said, oh, you talked to my friend. No, I didn't talk to anybody. I said, I was praying about who would do this. And I feel like the Lord's leading me to you. I'm like, what? So I went to an interview. They said, why should we hire you? I was like, you'd be crazy to hire me. Don't do that. <laughs> That's not going to be good for anybody, you know. I'm going to be broke, and you guys are going to have a, a, a pastor that's not any good. You know, don't do that. And, uh, and, um, and they were like, yeah, you might be right. Let us think about it. They took, they took a week to think about it. You know what happened? A, a company in St. Louis called, said, hey, come up here. We want to interview you. I went up there in an interview, and they said, hey, we want you to build a sales organization for us in Dallas. You can work out of your house. You're going to be making twice as much as what you're making right now. It's going to be amazing. By the way, we want to offer you the job right now. It was like my dream job. I got on a Southwest flight back from St. Louis to Dallas, and, and you know what I did? Watermark called, said, hey, we, we want to offer you the job. Got two jobs. You know what I did? I said, man, I, I, I think I got to go do this other thing. The sales job. I turned it down. After I had said I'd been called to ministry, God was so big, right? I mean, five days later, it was a miracle. It was a miracle. The Lord provided. He did everything. He was so faithful. I said, I think I got to go make money, man. I'll, I'll make some money. I'll save some money. And then I'll do that ministry thing. That's how this will work. It'll be beautiful. I did that job for six months. Every single day I woke up and I knew I was, I was being disobedient. Every single day I woke up, I knew I was running from my calling, what God had clearly uh, ordained. And on the, the day of my six-month anniversary, I, I went and told them, hey, I've got to go do this ministry thing. I, I've got to go do that. And you would think that would be the end of this beautiful story, but every single day my heart wants comfort. 
every day my heart wants cruise control. Even in the midst of seeing God do miracles and, and change the lives of young adults and, and, and to see a revival right before my eyes, a great awakening through 20 and 30-somethings, and every day I'm tempted by the world to run from God. And, and you hear, well, how does that relate to me? Because God, may, he's not calling you to ministry. Can I tell you something? God is calling you to ministry. He's calling you to ministry. You look and audit the last eight hours of your life, and can I tell you something? If you didn't do ministry, you missed your calling. If you didn't do ministry today, as you look backwards, you missed out on your purpose. What, you, you thought God put you here just to make money? Just to be comfortable? That's why you think God left you here? So that you could be as comfortable as possible and then die? That's why you think he left you here? No, he called you to himself to be a part of the greatest mission that has ever existed. What are you going to do with your life? You're going to live the American dream and then die the American dream and have no eternal significance whatsoever. That's it. You've been called to ministry. In the same way that I was called to ministry long before working for a church. And could you imagine if we have a good job, a nice house, success, great friends, minimal pain, and nothing in heaven? It's like Francis Chan said, our greatest fear should not be a failure, but a su of succeeding at things in life that don't really matter. Let me say it again. Our greatest fear should not be a failure, but of succeeding at things in life that don't really matter. So, if the temptation for you is to be more comfortable, wouldn't the most loving thing God could do is start to remove some of that protection? So that you don't make protection your God, so that you don't make comfort your God. See, sometimes God removes our protection for our own protection. Sometimes God kills the leafy plant covering our head from the hot sun for our own protection. Sometimes God removes our protection for our own protection. Can I tell you something really interesting here? Is the word God provides, it's the word manna with the H at the end of it. It's where we get the word manna, where in Exodus 16, God provides food out of heaven, like food from nowhere. Manna is what that's called. God provides manna. And so this word God provides, it shows up in this, in this book over and over and over. God provided a whale or a big fish. God provided a plant, then he provided a worm, and then he provided a scorching east wind. Sometimes God removes our protection for our own protection. So we don't make a God out of comfort. We're Christ followers, right? Jesus followers. We're, we're to emulate Christ, to be like Christ. Can I tell you something? Did Christ pursue comfort when he was here? You remember in Matthew 16 where he's talking to his boys, he's got them huddled up, he said, man, you guys know what's gonna happen to me is I'm gonna go to Jerusalem and they're gonna spit on me and curse me and torture me and then publicly kill me. And, and Peter's there and he's like, no, 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 Jesus, that's not going to happen. And he turns to Peter and he says, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, underline concerns, but merely human concerns. You're just thinking about your own comfort, Peter. I didn't put you here to be comfortable, Peter. Then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for you, porch goers, to gain the whole world and yet forfeit your soul? And what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? The Christian life is not one of comfort, but of commission. The Christian life is not one of comfort, but of commission. That's you being on mission with God, living out your purpose, living out your calling. You're not too cool for that, man. Okay, you've you got to get past yourself and your fears and your insecurities 
And you've got to start surrendering. Lord, I can't, but you can. I know I'm so afraid to even mention the word Jesus, but God, would you embolden me and give me courage because I know you didn't give me a spirit of timidity, one of power and love and self-discipline. If God calls you to something uncomfortable, are you willing to go? Jesus gave up his comfort for you and I so that we would live for him. Verse 10, but the Lord said, you have been concerned about this plant. Though you did not tend to it or make it grow, it sprang up overnight and died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left and so many animals Question mark, end of book. Walk off the stage, done. Are you serious? Is that not the craziest chapter in all of the Bible? Like that's how that book just ended. Let me break it down for you. He says, he says, you're so afraid of, I mean, you're so concerned about this plant, but you didn't even make the plant. You didn't even tend to the plant. You didn't even care for the plant. You don't even have a green thumb. But the, the Ninevites, I made all 600,000 600, of them and 120,000 children, those who don't know the right from their left, 120,000 children, and even the animals there I made. Since you don't care about the Ninevites, do you care about their kids, Jonah? Do you care about their kids, Jonah? How about their animals, Jonah? If you don't care about them, do you care about their kids? Do you care about their golden doodles, Jonah? God's punking him, man, like in a righteous, holy way somehow. He's like, what about the animals, Jonah? Do you even care about them? You, don't, you, don't, you didn't make that plant. You care about your succulent more than your neighbor. You, you care about your ficus tree more than your coworker. And they're both dying. And they're both dying. And some of us, we care about our bicycle or our vehicle or our watch or a purse or a bag or a retirement plan more than our neighbors. We check our bank accounts more often than we share the gospel. What's wrong with us? The rebellious heart of a runaway has misguided concerns. It's my third point. The rebellious heart of a runaway has misguided concerns. Jonah, if you're concerned about the plant, should I not be concerned about these people whom I've created? See, you have misguided concerns because your concerns are driven by your desire to control and your desire for comfort. Your desire for control and comfort has misguided your concerns. And it's not just of non-believers. Even Christians can drift to this place. Even younger brothers become older brothers. All of a sudden, you fall in love with Jesus. You want to share the gospel with everyone. You start reading your Bible and by the world you're beat down to lukewarm Christianity which may not even be Christianity I'm so tired that's because you're doing stuff by your strength not God's strength God uses the weak to shame the strong you're tired because you're so wrapped up in the current of the world you weren't meant to swim in that current you start standing against that current by the power of the Lord with, with the power of his Holy Spirit. And I don't think you're gonna be so tired. Even a Christian can drift to this place. I would say it's natural for a Christian to drift to this place, not surrendered, but to God, not surrendered to his spirit. And be careful, because what's gonna happen is you're gonna gain the whole world and yet forfeit your soul. And so here's a question for you. Do you care that people are going to hell? I mean, do you really believe that people are going to hell? And if you really believe that people are going to hell, where would you go and not share the gospel? On the day of my anniversary, my marriage to Monica, which is the 25th of every month, I, I buy her some hydrangeas. She likes hydrangeas. And, uh, and so worked it out with a, with a local florist that on the 25th of every month, she gets some fresh hydrangeas. Do you know why I have to buy them for her every month? 
because they die. They last about two weeks, and then they die, and they're tossed out. And this is a metaphor that the scriptures give us. The wheat and the tares, the grass uh, thrown out, threshing floor, that, that we are all dying, that we're going to face judgment, that every person you bump into, every person you talk to is a soul on this earth dying, headed towards judgment. And so like Jonah's plant died, so will the Ninevites, so will your neighbors, so will your coworkers. And so what, if God is cared, you know, you know who God loves? Every person God created. Like I just think about how much I love my kids and, and the, the really small role I played in their creation, really tiny role. And God, he ordained your days ahead of creation so that you might walk in them and the works that he desires to do through you. He's crazy about you. He's not mad at you. He loves you. And, and he really wants you to surrender to him so that you might live out your purpose for the first time. He has such incredible plans for you. But you're so distracted by your sin and you're so distracted by the world and you're so distracted by your own agenda that you can't see God's agenda. And there's, there's freedom in life when you care for what God cares about. It's really the essence of having the heart of God. So why did this crazy book happen? Why is it in the scripture? Why did God preserve these four chapters so that we would teach them here tonight? To teach us about Jesus. He, he did this to teach us about Jesus. See, Jesus trusted the Father. This weekend, it's Easter. It's a layup opportunity for you to invite someone to church and, and to talk about the gospel. People are really willing to listen to the gospel this time because it explains the holiday that we're about to celebrate. You can test me. If somebody gets angry at you for talking about the gospel, come find me. I'd love to hear about it, but I'm telling you, you can take a risk tomorrow. You should every day, but specifically this week, you can talk to someone about Easter, and you should. And some of you are like, you know, I wouldn't have the rebellious heart of a runaway if I just had a sign from God. You're like talking about JP, like God talked to you. Like if God would just do that to me, I'd follow him. I'd give him my heart. If he just gave me a sign, he did. It was an empty tomb. Find me the bones of Jesus. He gave you a sign. This man from a town you wouldn't know about except he was born there, Bethlehem, lived in a town, Nazareth, you wouldn't even know where it is on a map except he lived there, became the single most polarizing character of, in history that on his birth date, every atheist friend you have signs the date of his birth date on their checks, or they count from it anyways. 2018 years from the day he was born, he reset time, this guy. And the empty tomb is the sign that you need. You're like, if he was real, if he'd give me a sign, I wouldn't have the heart of a runaway. He has. It's Matthew chapter 12, verse 38. Then some Pharisees and teachers of the law said to Jesus, teacher, we want to see a sign from you. He answered, a wicked and adulterous generation asked for a sign, but none will be given except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fist, Fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and now something greater than Jonah is here. The Ninevites, those wicked people, will stand as we face judgment and those of us who have not trusted in Christ will be way, 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 infinitely worse off than they are. Guys, can I tell you why this story's in there? Think about this. If you know the Bible at all, you, you know, uh, I don't know if you know in Mark chapter four, when, when the storm comes and Jesus is there with his disciples and Jesus is sleeping and they come to him and they say, how could you be sleeping at a time like this? And they're like, hey, you gotta stop this storm. Well, well I don't know if you remember in Jonah chapter one, there's a boat and a storm and Jonah's sleeping. And you know what they said is the same phrase. How could you be sleeping at a time like this? We gotta stop the storm. The way that Jesus stopped it is, is he said, stop. <laughs> the way that Jonah stopped it, he's like, man, you gotta sacrifice me to the sea. See, Jonah was a sinner who ran from God. Listen, Jonah was a sinner who ran from God. 
Jesus is the God who runs towards sinners. Jonah was thrown overboard as a sacrifice for his sin. Jesus was sacrificed for our sin. Jonah was resurrected from the depth after three days. Jesus was resurrected, resurrected from the grave after three days. Jonah brought a message of condemnation. Jesus brought a message of reconciliation. It's John chapter three. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Jonah didn't want to see one nation bow their knee to God. Jesus is the God to whom every nation and knee will bow. Jonah spent 40 days hoping for destruction on a city. Jesus spent 40 days after his resurrection ministering so that we would not be destroyed. Jonah waited for his enemies to be punished. Jesus was punished for his enemies. Jonah had a heart of anger. Jesus has a heart of love. Jonah needed a savior. Jesus is Jonah's savior. Jesus is the greater Jonah. Jesus is the greater Jonah. Jesus has everything under control. He's got the whole world in his hands. He's got the whole world in his hands. Jesus sacrificed his comfort to give us eternity. And Jesus' greatest concern is saving you and helping you live out your real calling. What Jesus did that Jonah didn't is Jesus trusted the Father. Jesus did the will of the Father. Friends, can I tell you, there is not any life that you will live as magnificent and wonderful and fantastic and incredible as you every day waking up and trusting the Father. That is the adventure, man. That is your purpose. That is your calling. Uh, last week was my kids, my daughter's spring break, and so we went to a friend's lake house, and, and God gave us this beautiful day out there. It was perfect weather, bright, sunny sky, clear skies. And, and we sat out on the, on the deck, and I was fishing with two of my kids, and my daughter, Presley, wanted to go on a, a paddle board. And so she gets on the paddle board, and she's paddling out there. And I'm like, yeah, have fun, you know, have fun. It's a beautiful day, have fun, and, and, and I'm fishing with the other two, and I'm watching her, because when, when one of my kids is not right there with me and, and in potential danger, I'm watching them, every move, I'm, I'm, I'm fishing, but I'm watching her, you know, I'm watching, I see you, Presley, and, um, and she goes out a little further and a little further, and she's almost to the middle of the lake now, like, like just a, a, a speck on the horizon, but I'm watching her, and I can see, you know, boats are going by and whatnot, and I'm watching her, and um, and, and she, she keeps, I'm thinking, she's going to come back right about now. But then I notice there's a strong crosswind on the lake. And she keeps drifting further and further and further. And right about now, a loving father, I'm like, okay, I don't have a boat, you know. And, and, and so I'm like, somebody, i got to find a boat, you know. Anybody got a boat? And, uh, and, uh, and so I, I finally flag down someone with a boat. And, and I'm like, hey, can you take me to get my daughter on the other side of the lake? Now she has reached the other shore. I'm serious, all the way across the lake, she's climbed out on the other shore. Can you take me to get her, to bring her back? He says, sure, we, the whole family gets in the, his boat and this nice stranger, you know, takes us across the, um, the lake there. It's a really large cove, takes us across the lake and, and we get there and the kids, you know, her, her, her sister and brother are like, were you scared, were you scared? She's like, Oh, I wasn't scared. I knew daddy was watching me. I wasn't scared. I wasn't scared. And they said, what were you thinking? Like, like when you were out there in the middle, were you, were you concerned? She said, no, I wasn't concerned. I was watching daddy to see if he was concerned because if he's not concerned, then I'm not concerned. I know he's watching me. I was like, oh, you didn't, must not have seen my concern, you know? <laughs> Were you scared? No. I knew daddy would come get me. I knew he'd come for me. I wasn't scared. What a beautiful picture of faith. Well, she doesn't know. Her daddy can hardly swim, you know. I'm like, he's not even very, you know, I'm like, I need a boat. Uh, but God, man, he's watching you. You've never been anywhere he's not watching you, man. Some of you, that's your biggest fear, right? He's watching you. He sees you. I want you to take a deep breath. Breathe in. Exhale. Do it again now. Okay, ready? Take a deep breath. 
Exhale. He's watching you. He's got you. He's got a plan for your life. It's beautiful. You're never going to regret risking anything for him. It's, you can't even use the word risk. It's not a risk when it's for God. That you live out his purpose. You don't have to be concerned. You don't have to be afraid. You know what you can do? It's just like Presley said. You can live the adventure that he has you on. Not the stupid one in South Padre. But the one in your place of business. The one in your communities. The one overseas maybe. Some of you, you might move overseas. I don't know what he has. But it's, it's going to be amazing. And you can trust him, friends. He loves you. He, he is a gracious God, compassionate, slow to anger. Isn't that good news? He's slow to anger. <laughs> He's slow to anger and abounding in love. He's got enough for you. So this story here, it's to teach us about him. See, when I was in Padre and we ran to Mexico, I was afraid to get caught. What I've learned since then, what I've learned since then is the most amazing thing that ever happened to me is I got caught. God caught me with his grace, changed my life forever, gave me purpose, a mission, a calling, direction, a new reason to live. Jonah kept wanting to die. I have a new reason to live in Christ. That's my prayer for you. That's my prayer for you. I'm going to pray right now. Father, would you give my friends a new reason to live? Would you show them their purpose in Christ? Father, I pray for friends listening wherever they're at right now. You are the God of the storm. The fish obeyed you. The Ninevites obeyed you. The plant obeyed you. The worm obeyed you. The sun obeyed you. The wind obeyed you. And God, Jonah obeyed you eventually with the wrong heart. And we don't want to walk in obedience with the wrong heart. God, would you protect us from that? And Lord, we know that sometimes you remove our protection for our own protection so that we might turn to you for protection, God. Would you help us to do that right now? Would you increase our faith? As we sing this song, would you align our hearts as we move towards Easter and, and not just a dead God on a cross, but an empty tomb, a payment for our sins so that we don't have to pay for our sins. Father, would you stir our hearts for you? that every young adult listening right now would leave here or leave their place loving you more. Would you do that even now? In Christ's name, amen.